This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where we take a closer look and dig a little deeper into this week's sermon. What's going on, Bible nerds? We are talking about Acts 10, so let's take a closer look. Let's do it. So this is an interesting story, and if you if you watch the story from yesterday morning, then you know it's really a story about a guy named Cornelius and a guy named Peter. And the main difference here is you have two guys that have each seen a vision, and... The visions are corresponding visions to them meeting because Peter has a message that Cornelius is supposed to hear according to Cornelius' Cornelius' own vision. This is Cornelius' vision. One afternoon at about 3 o'clock, he had a vision in which he clearly saw an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius... He stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? He answered, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa for a certain Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner whose house is by the seaside. When the angel who spoke to him had left, he called two of his slaves and a devout soldier from the ranks of those who served him. And after telling them everything, he sent them to Joppa. Clayton. Yeah. Do you remember last week? Why you asked me? Why does it mention that there's Who Simon is the Tanner? Simon the Tanner person. Yeah. This is why I guess because to have some sort of connection to where Peter was staying. Well, yeah, it's to set up that this is going to become an important character. Mm. That important character shows up because he shows up in a vision to Cornelius, and he's supposed to send people to Joppa to get Peter. The interesting thing is Cornelius is a Gentile. Yeah. He's a centurion. Yeah. What's a centurion? A, like, military leader. A Roman. Roman military, military leader. leader. There yeah. you go. So this, is, this man's literally the epitome of the enemy to the Jews. Right. I mean, the only person that would be more of an enemy to the Jews would be Caesar himself. Right. It doesn't get much harder. Right? Like, it doesn't get more against them. Roman Empire and an officer of Roman Empire, yeah. Gentile, wants to meet with Peter. Yeah. Pretty, um, pretty big. Pretty big, pretty vivid, you know, pretty especially big. for a, like an ethnocentric cleansing kind of, excuse me, culture. Sure. Pretty big deal. Now, verse 9. About noon the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while it was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Okay. So, there is a point that I want to note here. I'm going to talk about this text again on um, practicing presence when we talk about discerning the divine this yeah. week. Uh, so, But I'm going to briefly mention it here. 
He went up on the roof to pray. That's important. I think there are a couple of important things. Number one, he's on the roof. Why is he going to the roof? I mean, I would assume because it's a communal house and the roof is the only place without distractions. There you go. The roof is the place that's most secluded. The roof is the place where he can isolate himself. So number one, prayer needs to happen, you know, at any point, whenever you feel the need to pray. But there needs to be dedicated time of isolated prayer. Mm. And it's in those dedicated times of isolated prayer that you get the greatest revelations of the Lord. Oh, yeah. Like maybe a vision. Mm. I truly believe, I'm not sure that Peter would have had this vision had he not been in his normal rhythm of isolating himself to pray. Right. Because... Uh, since Clayton has not watched this story yet, he doesn't know what we're about to hit him with. This is what we're about to hit him with. Verse 11. He saw the heaven opened and something like a large sheet coming down, being lowered to the ground by its four corners. In it were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. Then he heard a voice saying, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. The voice said to him again, a second time, What God has made clean, you must not call profane. And this happened three times, and the thing was suddenly taken up to heaven. What? what what is that, Clayton? For me, <coughs> excuse me. <clears throat> For me, it screams a a very large change in what Peter sees as the law, right? Or a redefining of God's relationship to man, in a way, um, because he had set these laws of of unclean things that you should not eat. But now God is saying that these things are clean and you can't eat, which is saying lots of things that, Hey, maybe the way that we used to do things is no longer the way that we should do them now. Yeah. That that's a very good summary. Um, yeah, so if you didn't know, in the Old Testament, specifically in the book of Leviticus, there are these things called dietary laws. And in yeah. those laws, there are things, there are rules for what you can and cannot eat. Right. You cannot eat pork. You cannot eat shellfish. You cannot eat fish that does not have scales. Clayton, right. what's your favorite fish? Well, that's probably, it's probably not your favorite fish. What's the fish you probably eaten the most of in your life? Catfish. Oh, yeah. Terrible. You can't, you can't, can't eat, eat that. that, bro. It Catfish. don't have scales. So good, um, <laughs> Yeah, so in Leviticus, there's a lot of dietary laws and restrictions. Our best guess, based on Peter's response in this text, is that what he sees in the, you know, basically the sheet coming down, right, is all of the unclean animals he's not supposed to eat. Right. And so this voice says, get up, kill and eat. And Peter's appalled. Yeah. He's like, what what is he really saying? 
God, he's saying, I'm a faithful Jew. I'm, a, I'm, I'm a, the most faithful Jew. I'm a good Jew, even though that means not doing what God's telling me to do. <laughs> yeah, I'm a good Jew. I've never eaten anything like this. Yeah. I, and I, and I, I, not only have I never, I would never. <clears throat> Peter has offered his own ultimatum mm-hmm. to divinity. Yeah. Do you see what's happened? Think about the other times that divinity has revealed themselves to humanity. What did they do most often? Rebelled against it, fought it, tried to change it. No, no, no. In theophanies, in actual divine revelations and visions oh. like this, they they cower. They repent. They're, they're, yeah. yeah, they repent. They have reverence. They do what divinity <laughs> tells them to do. Yeah. Peter, Not Peter, do that. the flipping hothead, mm. the bold one. That's a good point. What does Peter do? Peter tries to argue. Why? What about Peter's existence? Or what about the way Peter is navigating this story? What should you glean from that? What does that tell you about Peter and the way that he's thinking about divinity and religion? What it tells me is that Peter was very set in what he thought was the right way. Even so much so that it became uncomfortable when God was asking him to change what he thought about the right way was. Yeah, you're saying what I want you to say. You're just saying it in a way that's not fully leading you or leading you to communicate what I want you to say. But yes, you are right. Mm -hmm. Um, What this says and shows me is that Peter has found himself in a situation where he values you values religion more than he values God. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That when God shows up, the voice of God is not enough because it right. counteracts what religion has taught me. Yeah. This divine moment, a moment when Saul himself mm. cowered and became blind, a moment where Lots of people see figures of divinity and become very reverent. They become repentant. They fall to the ground and worship. Yep. Peter didn't do any of that. Peter rebuttals. Mm-hmm. But it's almost as if God one-ups him. It's like God gives him this vision, and Peter says, bro, I can't eat that. And God goes, wait, wait, wait. This is like the Job story. Yeah. Where were you when I created? Yeah. It's like, no, no, no. What I've called clean, don't let anybody call unclean. Like, I made this. It's mine. Um, do what I tell you with it. Now, Clayton, I brought this up in the story yeah. this morning. Excuse me. Um. I'm trying to think about how I want to word this. Um, you grew up in the same house that we grew up in. Yep. Or that I grew up in. Um, same mother. How did you feel about doing chores for our mother? Like house chores, where something was determined to be clean or unclean? Like everyone, like every kid does when their mom or dad asks them to do chores. Like, oh my God, do I have to? Did you go to other people's house and see (laughs) them do chores? 
Sometimes, yeah. Do you ever feel like their chores were way easier and held to way less of a standard than our chores were? Uh, depends on the house. And depends I, on what the chores are. I usually felt like our mom was way more strict than everybody else's mom on cleaning. She just had a standard of what she thought clean was, which is just higher than most people's. Do you think... Um, do you think there's varying degrees of cleanliness and uncleanliness according to this metaphor, or do you think they're a dichotomy? Hmm. Good question. I don't know. Probably varying levels, if I had to guess. Maybe not so much a, a dichotomy, because... That, I don't know if that's a good metaphor, because there is varying level levels of cleanliness to your house. Oh, no. No, no, no. There's not. There's varying levels of a degree of mess that someone's willing to put up with, but that does not mean that any of it is clean. But it's all clean. Ba- that is all based on perspective. Oh, no. Clean is a very scientific term. Okay. It's whether or not it has bacteria on that surface. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. So, according to science... Clean and unclean is a very black and white issue. Sure. In the same way, in Jewish dietary laws, clean and unclean is a very black and white issue for what you can eat. Okay. It's either it is clean or it is not clean. What makes it clean, Clayton? What In in what context? In in Leviticus, what makes something clean? I don't remember. There's really no rhyme or reason. The Bible calls it clean. The law calls it clean. So it's clean because of what it is, and the law said it's that. Sure. So what makes something unclean? Because the law says it. Because of what it is and its existence, and the law says it. So both of these things are determined to be clean or unclean based on what they are. Not how they performed their duty or role. Mm-hmm. It's not meritorious. Mm. It's literally what they are. What they are made them clean or unclean, correct? Yeah. So now God shows up on the scene and says to Peter, hey, what God has called clean, let no one call profane or unclean. Mm-hmm. So, Clayton, my question to you is if things are determined to be clean or unclean based on what they are, and we're being told here to not call anything unclean that God has called clean, and it's based on what they are, Mm. what is clean? Clean is pursuit of divinity? Mm. Let's see. I'm going to skip down for time's sake. Um, skip down, they end up, Cornelius and uh, Peter end up meeting. This is what the text says. On Peter, this is verse 25. On Peter's arrival, Cornelius met him and falling at his feet, worshiped him. But Peter made him get up saying, stand up. I am only a mortal. And as he talked with him, he went in and found that many had assembled. And he said to them, You yourselves know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with 
or to visit a Gentile. Clayton, what's a Jew? Someone from Israel. Great. What's yeah. a Gentile? Anyone else. Great. So a strict dichotomy, mm-hmm. like clean and unclean. Sure. Okay. You yourselves know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or to visit a Gentile, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone. Oh, mm. we're, not on, we're not on animals anymore. We're on people. That I should not call anyone profane or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. So Clayton, I ask again. What does Peter think makes someone clean? Being made in the image of God. Anyone. That is very strict. Being a human being. Yeah. Means that you are clean. Hmm. That I should not call anyone profane or unclean. I had not noticed that before. That word anyone is very distinctive. Well, the whole thing is leading up for him to have a conversation with Cornelius. Yeah. And he's a Gentile. Yeah. Hmm. Literally interesting. I called I called our dad about this text sitting in the Toyota dealership service center. I was getting my truck service, reading the Bible, preparing for my story, and I text mom and was like, hey, what's the chances? It was like right at 5 o'clock. I text mom and was like, hey, what's the chances that dad's sitting outside smoking a pipe? And she was like, 100%. It's like, great. You mind taking him his Bible, having him read chapter 10 of Acts and call me? <laughs> love that. <laughs> I love everything about that. Yeah. So, oh my God. Uh, so we sat there and talked about this text for about 40 minutes. Um, and I had a lot of things to say about this text, as you might imagine. Sure. I don't have 40 minutes to regurgitate them for you. But um, Dad and I ended up in the same... Like, I don't know that we... We didn't start in opposite places. Right. But after we read it, and I highlighted those same, you know, three pericopes that out of this text... I highlighted them for him too, and he's like, "No, I don't. I don't think you're reading that inappropriately. It's, it says anyone. It literally says anyone. It literally says anyone. Hmm. I should not call anyone profane or unclean. And yeah. so, I mean, like, I really, this is not a hard thing. No, it's not. Who do you call unclean? No one. I also think." Dad made this comment, and I think it's a fair point, and I should make it, and I want to give him credit for it because technically he did say it, and I'm going to steal it verbatim. It doesn't necessarily have to be a person, right? So when when we think about calling a person unclean, we can think about a very descriptive person. Sure. Right? Like you could pick middle-aged white man. Right. Right? You could do a descriptive (laughs) one, but you could also do it you could also do your unclean descriptors by activities. Yeah. So I don't care the silhouette of the person, but this person, whoever this person, if they drink, if they do drugs, if they are same-sex attracted, yeah, whatever, right? You could pick an activity of a person and also call someone unclean. Yeah. Here's the deal. I do think... You know, for all, all that I think 
the conservatives do well and the conservatives do bad, because I do think there's a lot. They do both. Sure. Just like all of us. Um, one of the things that I think they do um, one of the things I think they do, I think it has both good and negative elements of impact from it. But one of the things that conservatives do is they say, um, love the sinner, hate the sin. Yeah. Yeah. That's you really so can't loaded. do that. Yeah. You can't do that. Well, I think you can do that. Western culture struggles with that when we've attached identity to someone because of quote unquote said sin, right. like drugs, alcohol, or same sex attraction. Right. Um, that's just asinine. Like, yeah. no. So, well, how's church? Like, the, if God is telling us to not call anything unclean and that everything is clean, how do we as a people need to grow in order to not call anything unclean? <laughs>